0: Hello and welcome back to the Clark Greater Manchester podcast. I'm Ben Kappa, and I'm joined again by two leading academics from the team to discuss how our work in applied health research is helping to make a real difference. There's been a lot of coverage in the media recently about the future of the NHS. Many acute hospital trusts have been dealing with winter pressures and January saw the introduction of the new 10-year plan for the NHS. But what can applied research do to help NHS services in ways that help benefit patients, make services run more efficiently and help to develop the skills and knowledge of healthcare professionals? And how can the knowledge generated through applied research benefit the healthcare system as a whole? Well, at Clark Greater Manchester this month, we've been exploring this with a range of blogs on our website. And in this podcast, we're focusing on a project that has contributed vital thinking around access to seven-day healthcare across Greater Manchester. And I'm delighted to be joined by academic lead Professor Damien Hodgson and lead health economist Dr. Will Whitaker. Welcome, guys. Good to see you. So, can we talk a bit about the background to this project? Um, where did the need come from, and which partners were involved?
1: Um, yeah, sure. Um, the, the project um, has been a, an ongoing um, focus of interest across Greater Manchester. Um, we did this in partnership with the, with the, in collaboration with the Health and Social Care Partnership uh, in Greater Manchester, which means we're working across all the different areas within Greater Manchester. Um, and the focus was, was for some time, on how to improve the, uh, the access to care for patients across the whole region. And that was particularly uh, important given the, the context of the devolution of health and social care to the region. Um, this was one of the earliest priorities for, um, for the region in terms of trying to push forward and improve all of the health and care services um, for Greater Manchester.
0: What actually happened in the project then? What actually were the stages of the project then, Will? Can you talk us a little bit around where it began and where it got
2: to? Yeah, so so in, in 2013, Manchester started to pilot um, extended access, so that's appointments in the evening and weekends in a range of different practices in Greater Manchester. Uh, so we were involved in evaluating that, so that was the demonstrators project, and links to that can be found on the Clark website, um, for those of you who are interested. And leading from that, and partly informed by that, was a decision to roll out extended evening and weekend appointments across Greater Manchester from 2016, and that led to our second evaluation, the seven-day access evaluation. Again, that, those details can be found on the, the Clark website, um, and they're really what we'll be focusing on here. Um, but I do want to add a bit, a bit of context. and it, um, It's also a national, it, it sits within a national um, policy about extended access that, that's been been occurring for the last um, five years. So under the GP five-year forward view, there's a drive to, to extend access to primary care, and, and this is included evening and weekend appointments. And, and our evaluation is kind of in, sitting in, in the context of that national evaluation as well that's also looking at what impact seven-day services are having. So it's interesting for People in Greater Manchester, also at a national level. The, the, some, of the, some of the things we'll talk about here might be might be helpful at a national level, and then at an international level for any health systems that are potentially thinking of considering of, of, of introducing um, such a policy. So, um, just to finish with that national picture from the from winter 2018, the idea would be that there was access to extended appointments nationally across the whole of England. So that's like the current picture now. Back in 2013, that wasn't the case. So, So the availability of appointments varied depending on which practice you were registered to, depending on when the practice was open or not. And, and again, that varied both within um, your local region within Greater Manchester and at uh, a and, uh, national level as well, and the drive was, or the the whole um, motivation from this was to do with things like those winter pressures. It was to do with this this recognition that some sectors of the health service were particularly under strain at certain times, and and in some way that could be or, or hypothesised to be due to. Poor access to to primary care services. So, um, as an example, is this Joe Bloggs turning up at a hospital at A and E department because they couldn't get an appointment with their with their GP? So that's been the kind of the the initial motivation. But um, in addition to that, there's also um, a recognition that that the population is on the whole not as satisfied with access to primary care as they could be. So it's not necessarily all due to these poor use of A&E services or inappropriate use of A&E services. It could be that people are just generally dissatisfied with how they can make an appointment and, and, and how available they are. So, so the, those are the two kind of driving forces. It was about trying to relieve pressures in the system, but also trying to meet this, this um, demand for, for, for primary care.
0: I mean, so the question really was really around the sort of the methodology. I was kind of asking, kind of like, what were the sort of the stages of the project? Uh, That was a really good sort of overview of kind of where it came from and where it went to. From, but what was this? What sort of of methodology was used in this project? Um, Yeah, well,
1: what we were doing is, is looking at three aspects really. First of all, we wanted to know what was happening, so we needed to measure which appointments were being um, created in which areas at what time um, and who was using those appointments. So that was a a key part of the the basic picture. Um, We also want to know more about um, how it was occurring. So we need to know um, how these appointments were, which locations they were taking place in, um, how many appointments were being created. Um, how did patients book under these appointments how did they find out about the appointments um, how were they made available um, so the general process of how this 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 worked in practice and then the third part of course is and what was the impact of this what were the consequence of this and how could you see effects of this um, and hopefully this was being done over um, a number of areas across greater manchester so we had a in a natural experiment, we could see how the different ways this was done had different kind of effects on
0: various things, such as, for instance, the use of um, accident and emergency services in local hospitals. Mm-hmm. And what sort of, where did that data come from then, and how did the team actually go about interpreting it?
1: So each of the areas would provide us with data on a monthly basis on uh, what was happening in their, in their particular um, region. The um, we had a number of different sources of, of data on. Um, I wonder whether Will should uh, cover this in terms of yeah, the, what, the, what happens the, the use of
2: healthcare in, in outside of primary care, essentially. So, we, so we were interested in who was using the service. So we we collected activity data, so, so data on that appointment that so came from from providers of that service, and we were interested in. Um, elsewhere, how it was potentially impacting on pressures elsewhere in the system. So out of our services, NHS 1 1 services and and, uh, hospitals as well to try and gauge whether this logic of these pressures being created due to primary care, whether there is any suggestion that providing an extended service would relieve pressures as well essentially, mm-hmm. essentially what we, was, we were seeking to, to test there with mm-hmm. that uh, evaluation
1: uh, And alongside that what we would also do is look at um, who was um, the, the, the staff who were pro- providing the service so we did a number of interviews in all of the areas looking at how it was designed how it was implemented and what were the experiences of people delivering extended access in these areas
0: and you talked a bit about um, the idea of Um, patient satisfaction of of access as well Um, how did the project approach that particularly
2: difficult issue we looked at patient responses to surveys about satisfaction with making an appointment with satisfaction with their practices opening hours, so there's something called the GP patient survey, so some of you who are listening, if you're from England, you may have even received that questionnaire in the post in, in, in the past, I know, I, I certainly have, um, and I've, I've kept that, I did fill it in, so do fill it in, because um, our analysis is only as good as as, as who yeah, fills so it in, so, so yeah, if yeah. you get one, please fill it in. Um, so we, we assessed that in, in, in that perspective to see any impacts on on. Patient satisfaction, but it's been a difficult thing to do because, yeah, it's an expensive thing to do. Yeah, okay, and it's, it's also difficult to identify the patients who have used that service. So you can,
1: what you're looking often is how patients, whether the patients satisfied with their service as a whole, <coughs> but then. What you have to hope when you're analysing this is that somehow the effect of the small subset of patients who have use extended access will somehow have some kind of impact upon the overall satisfaction with a with a GP practice. Um, so it's 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 hard to pick up some of these subtler effects. I guess would be her fair to say.
2: And I guess I guess to some extent there's there's some argument to say that people don't go to their GP because they like to go to their GP. That that there's some um, benefit to them of visiting their GP. So in the absence of um, patient satisfaction, we would hope that the use of these services in some way is going to generate some kind of health benefit in addition to patient satisfaction.
0: So lots of different sort of data sources there. Some kind of, some Patient surveys, there's quite a bit of sort of actual service data there as well. And interviews as well with healthcare professionals. So a, a lot of methods sort of involved in, a, in one methodology there. So, I mean, it begs the question, what were the key findings here? Because, you know, there's lots of data sources telling us potentially lots of different things in lots of different ways. What were the key sort of conclusions that you found as a result of this project?
2: So I, I guess with the, with the activity analysis, this is who is using the service. We were interested in understanding really whether access was really improving with this. So, if no one used the service, then there's an argument that there's no improvement in access. Um, We were keen on understanding what percentage of appointments were being taken, when they were being taken, and by who they were being taken by, to try and inform who was who was potentially benefiting from from this service. So. In line with several other evaluations that have happened um, across England uh, we found that uptake or the use of those services is not 100 percent so not every single appointment that was available was was subsequently booked by by patients Uh, it was more in line of about two-thirds to 70 percent of of appointments were booked and and attended by patients Uh, this varies by day of week so with Sundays uh, having the lowest amount of uptake um, compared to the other days of the week. However, there was much more appointments provided on a Sunday as well. Um, so, so one of the implications of that, which we'll probably come to later, is about the scale of provision on a Sunday um, it may have been too great. And we did look at how this uptake varied over time as well. So this idea is that this was a new service to to many patients but also to the providers of the service as well and and, and there may be some embedding of that service, some some familiarity with that service before it begins to really get taken up. So you think of your Sunday shopping hours. And that that has improved over time um, I'm guessing when it was first introduced um, shops were doing not were not doing that well on us on a Sunday uh, whereas now it's probably as busy as a Saturday as well so so for, under that kind of rationale we think the service will embed so we looked over time as well and we found that that, that figure does improve over time so it's about two thirds to 70% but that's increasing over time including on a Sunday as well So so we found that uptake isn't 100%. So there, are, there is spare capacity in there. Um, we found that the people using that service did look fairly different to the people who were using um, your standard opening hours during the week, uh, Monday to Friday, say 8 or 6 o'clock. They did look different in that sense. Uh, uh, and this was largely due to, to their age distribution. So it was mainly younger, more working-age people. Uh, were using those those services than, than older populations, and, and so they looked a bit different to who was using those appointments during the day, during Monday to Friday. So, so in that sense, I, th- I think one of our one of our findings was that there had been improvements in in access because these these new appointments, some of those were taken up, and it tended to be for the working age people, and in particular females as well. There's, there's lots of implications with female, younger patients use, using that service. So did they previously have poor access to healthcare, have they now got that, or have they moved in to using appointments in the evening and weekends from previously using core hours and have we improved access in core hours? So have we got now better access to for older patients in core hours because it would reduce the, the pressures from a younger population trying to get appointments, nine, nine to five. Um, during the week so so we've done lots of work on that and, and, and more details of that can be found in our seven day access report um, about who's using that service and what days and, and, and some of the key learnings from that um, in terms of the effects yeah. of, of how they how these services were implemented yeah I, I, can, I can talk a little bit about that because um, that
1: was one of the more interesting parts we thought that um, Actually, we saw a variety of models across the areas, uh, and this depends on um, um, how it was designed. Um, in particular, in terms of where it was where it took place. Um, so, generally, what this means is, it doesn't mean every GP practice would open across an area. You would generally select one or two or three or four hubs to cover a particular yeah. um, particular neighbourhood. Um, now, that meant that. Uh, For some people, there was one hub and people were further away uh, and therefore had to travel further to get to that hub. Uh, In other areas, there were a number of hubs spread across um, a particular um, area and therefore it's more likely that it was closer to them Um, and that seemed to make quite a large difference. Um, So we found in some areas there was a, a strong likelihood that people using the service um, were also already patients of the practice where the hub was located. So they would basically go to their own practice, or that's what it would feel like. Um, in other areas, it was much more spread around. So we were interested in how that took place and why, why there was this variation. Um, and there's a number of things which could lie behind that about um, ease of access. You know, do, do bus services run on a Sunday to a particular location and what location was chosen for the hub? So that was quite an important thing. Um, The other thing which was important in the design of the service, uh, we found, was how it was communicated, so how it was publicized, so how aware were patients that this service was available. Um, And so we had, in one extreme, an area where you could, um, there was basically a telephone line, you could call at any time and you would book directly an appointment at one of the hubs. Um, In other areas, you would know about this if the receptionist in your GP practice uh, suggested to that you you might want to use one of these appointments, for instance, if there were no more availability in the, uh, on a particular day. Um, and then that depends on the receptionist being aware of this, remembering it, thinking it's appropriate, um, offering it in a way that the patient understood um, and found uh, convenient and attractive, and then the patient following that up and therefore being referred on. So we call this a kind of, referral moderator effect in some areas where there's a more complex process of getting the appointment the numbers decline. There's lots of obstacles in the way between you and getting the appointment. In other areas, um, the uptake was higher and these were the areas where there was a direct booking thing. So actually, the the technicalities of how you actually put this service on makes a big difference in
0: how many people use it and why they use it and how they use it. Fantastic. So some really key, really interesting findings there Um, and a lot of things that come into play there that are maybe not strictly within the sort of confines of the brief of the research, but of shown how other parts of infrastructure around, like transport, really impact that, that behaviour change. Really interesting. So how at this point then, Will, you've mentioned about the report that's out there, um, how have the findings kind of been shared at the moment and what has the impact been on the sort of the wider sort of research community with the findings?
2: Okay. Well, well, I guess one thing we, we, we didn't really touch on was the, the effects on potential outcomes. So uh, in, in particular, the, the use of services outside of primary care. So, uh-huh. so the effects on... Um, hospital emergency department visits, say any attendances in, in general. So, we, we put a lot of um, work into that in evaluating these schemes, uh, largely because that was one of the, 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 the reasons for, for introducing such a scheme to potentially uh, reduce pressures. So, we've done that for those, those two waves of evaluations, for the demonstrators' evaluation and for the seven-day access report, so it's containing both of those reports. Um, we found reductions in minor A&E attendances, and, and, and by minor we mean those types of attendances that could potentially have been seen and treated outside of hospital, so through, through your general practitioner. So we found about a, a 25% reduction in the demonstrators, um, that was, that's been published academically. Uh, in, in a, in a PLOS Medicine article, again the link of which will be on the, on the Clark website. Um, for the 7-day access evaluation we've also looked at the um, impacts on, on hospital service use as well, um, some methodological issues with that. Uh, what we like to do is we like to say, well this is what happened in, in these areas following the introduction of this service. And we need to know what would have happened without that service, and the way we do that is to compare against areas that are, are, are a proxy for what would have happened with, without that service um, we didn't have a comparison group for that seven day access report so so in a way we're, we're a bit cautious about those those findings there um, but yeah, it looks like there's a potential reduction in, in hospital services and, and, and other studies using more national evaluations have found similar things as well. I guess what, what became clear is that the, the, the savings that were made from, from those hospital reductions would not offset the costs of, of that service. Um, and that's important when we start to look uh, and understand that this service is not... Necessarily targeted at only reducing hospital attendances uh, and those 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 kind of winter pressures. It was was aimed at also improving access and dealing with these this this, um, general feel that patients were dissatisfied with access to healthcare. Um, So that's a bit of an unknown now in terms of just what that how much the value is Mm. of of this improved access, uh, which makes it difficult for us to definitively say. This is a cost-effective policy for for Greater Manchester for for, for NHS England. Um, time will tell, really, in terms of that uptake and, and any future evaluations that look at the benefits and impact on, on on patient satisfaction, really.
0: So, in terms of, so it's a kind of an unclear picture in the cost-effectiveness, but. What other benefits do you see then? Um, sort of firstly, I guess, for those patients then, because we talk about patient satisfaction and how the source data is quite difficult to work with. But, I mean, even at this point, what do you see that the benefit to patients would be as, of, of the project that we've undertaken and also of the, uh, the actual scheme that we're, that's being evaluated?
2: Um, so in terms of what impact the research has had on, on the way on the care that patients receive now in Greater Manchester. Uh, I guess that the findings helped support um, Greater Manchester's approach um, for devolution. So it was a key part of of, of the um, Greater Manchester primary care strategy moving forward. Is for um extended access to be a a part of that service and again in in the national picture that's that's also the case so our findings informed that um yeah,
1: it's, it's worth saying that there the are various dimensions that. So understanding the various choice, design choices you have to make about where should you locate these, what are the things you need to have in place about sharing patient records, um, what would be the most appropriate way of, um, of providing um, information about these, what's the most efficient way of giving access. Um, and I think also, to some degree, it may have... Um, reassured some areas which I think um, at the outset were concerned that there would be just deluge by patients who couldn't otherwise see CGPs uh, who would just flood the service. So I think some were fairly cautious in, in the amount of appointments they put on and this gave a good measure of what the demand would be and what kind of demand it would be and therefore that tells you a little bit about what kind of needs are being served by putting this on. So that was quite a, an important part in just working out how to design this
2: and how to roll this out effectively. So I guess we, we've, I guess the workers really kind of informed how to deliver that service and, and also helped support a justification for delivering, delivering that service.
0: Yeah. So there's some really interesting benefits for the service there as well, just in terms of bit of reassurance, but also a little bit of helping to plan more effectively for the future. So we, you mentioned some of the, um, the partners that are involved at the beginning of the conversation. Um, and obviously an important element of Clark's work is around developing the people that are actually involved in the project. And what benefits have we seen for actually the individual professionals that have been involved?
1: Well, one of the things I think which is really important, and this does run through a lot of the projects we've done, is actually um, to try and give an indication of what what it means to do a thorough evaluation, to, to generate um, meaningful and robust evidence about an implementation you're, uh, you're involved with. And I think what's important there is that quite often um, when you have particularly new initiatives then often the people involved in the initiatives are very passionate about these things and, and that's, that's very important, that's necessary to get these things off the ground given the amount of work it takes. Um, but then what you also need is a slightly more dispassionate view about what would be um, what would be proof that this works and what kind of issues are, are raised in there often there are, there are these challenges that come along which just the 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 kind of positivity and the determination of the early pioneers will get over these things but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's, everyone's going to have the same kind of passionate determination so that doesn't mean it can be rolled out and I think this was particularly important here um, We'd previously done studies of areas which had put their hands up and wanted to be the, in the forefront of doing this, and this was the wider rollout of this particular policy. So, um, in doing this, we found a little bit more about what it means to do this on a broader scale. Um, so that was quite an important part of that, uh, and a part of a part of the learning is what do you do, what do you learn through that process. Um, I think what's also been important for the professionals is also um, the opportunity to reflect and share knowledge. So one of the things we've been doing as we, with this and all, and all our projects, is to um, we share the findings as we as we uh, as they're produced, uh, and often that's an opportunity for for discussion, for reflection between different parts of the process. Um, so what you find is um, each of the areas is is learning from the experience of other areas. So. In a sense almost you could see each area thinking this is the only way we could possibly do this and then seeing the other variations gives them a sense of well there are other ways we could have done this so that that's quite important Uh, and increasingly as each of the areas is having to work in a more integrated way um, across greater manchester more generally but also linking with other services then um, this is a a key thing to to
0: build up this um, the the region as a kind of learning community i think is pretty essential Fantastic, so what would you say is kind of the next step for for the insight that's been developed through this project? What happens next with it?
2: Well, um, lots of lots of potential work for me <laughs> so, uh, so what's really interesting for me is and uh, living in Greater Manchester um, and being at the University of Manchester is Greater Manchester is pretty much at the, the, the forefront of this. So it's now been rolled out it's across Greater Manchester. It has been for, for uh, quite a number of years now. Um, and the long-run impacts of this are interesting for me. So so does this impact on, on, on the health on the healthcare sectors? Is that something that we find sustained over time? Um, or is it just that the, the analysis we did was at a particular... Point. So is it, is it something that we find going, go, going on over time? Do we find that that use of appointments starts to reflect what we find in core hours, that they're at capacity again? Um, do we find that there are potential um, issues with staffing that service? So you, you'll see in, and hear about in the news lots of, of workforce pressures um, in the healthcare system. So we are wary that this is an additional service. That requires workforce as well, so we're, we're interested in, in what happens there with that and with the, with the staffing of that. Um, looking further ahead, we're interested in, in trying to capture in any way the, the, any health benefits that are happening and any impacts on, on patient satisfaction with opening hours. Um, and what they were doing. As an immediate follow-on,
1: really, is we're working with one area in Greater Manchester, with, in in Salford, to look uh, in more depth at what lies beneath this. So um, we have a, a study under work currently there, um, and what we what we hope and expect to find from that is, for instance, um, does the uh, the improved access to care does it vary by by deprivation? Does this help access in poorer communities? Um, any more than it does in more affluent communities. Um, and also what we're really keen to look at is what actually takes place in these uh, appointments. There's very little information really about what kind of um, issues are addressed in extended access appointments, and are they different from, from normal um, working hour appointments? So we're looking carefully with the clinical audit, looking at how, we, wh- wh- how this compares to the normal breakdown of work for a GP on a daily basis. Uh, and therefore, that gives a better understanding and predictor of what the impacts might be on the healthcare system as a whole.
0: Fantastic. So thank you both very, very much for for your time to explain that really vital uh, and potentially very transformative piece of work that's that's happened across Greater Manchester and um, the the contribution that Clark has, has undertaken with it. So thank you both very much, Damien and Will, for that. So for more information about the 7-Day Access Programme and to access the full reports, you can visit the Clark Greater Manchester website, which is at clark-gm.nihr.ac.uk. And remember, that's Clark, C-L-A-H-R-C-hyphen-G-M. So my thanks go to Damien and to Will for their time and insight for this episode of the Clark Greater Manchester podcast. We'll be back with another episode talking about the projects and concepts that are right at the heart of our work. The Collaboration for Leadership in Applied Health Research and Care Greater Manchester is a partnership between providers and commissioners from the NHS, industry, the third sector and the University of Manchester.